Amen. Good morning. We're in Mark chapter 4. We're going to do verse 1 through 20 today. Yeah, it was a big section, so you should be very, very impressed, okay? Lord, in Jesus' name, we're asking today just for the fear of God to settle among us. Lord, we're asking that you would revive in us a sobriety concerning this gospel and the nature of the truth. Lord, it's our, it's our desire that you would use us to transform this region and even this nation, Lord, as your people. And we just recognize today that, that everything we want to see happen in our region has to happen in our hearts first. And so we bring you our hearts, bring you our attention, and we ask that you'd settle among us. In Jesus' mighty name, somebody say amen. Amen. In the 1740s, um, Jonathan Edwards, who became known as the father of the first great, great awakening, he invited George Whitfield to come and preach at his church. He wrote him a letter, and in the letter he said, essentially, uh, in Jonathan Edwards' language, I've heard that the blessing of heaven is upon you and upon your ministry, and I ask you to come because he essentially said, I need that blessing for myself, and I want you to stay in my own house and uh, bless us with, with all that God's doing through you. And Whitfield was excited to come and preach in Northampton where Edwards was. And, and he came and Whitfield was probably one of the most famous people in the world at the time, if not like top three or four. Um, if you think about if Billy Graham came to town, um, you know, before he passed, we would all go, right? You, you want to be able to tell your, you tell your grandkids about the time you heard Billy Graham preach. Uh, you could probably times that by four, and then you have George Whitfield. Um, was that influential? Was that um, attractive of a personality? And so when he came to Northampton, where, where Jonathan Edwards had pastored for years now, and Edwards had labored, you know, really tried to labor for an awakening in his region. When George Whitfield came, everybody showed up. I mean, just, and this was normal. 15, 20,000 people would come. And you think of kind of a sleepy agricultural society. Like there's not much to do. And so when the Billy Graham of the day shows up, everybody comes to hear him. And uh, while he preached, people were moved to tears, really moved in repentance. Sarah, Jonathan Edwards' wife, said she had never seen anything like it. And that was a little bit of a stick to her husband, <laughs> the best preaching she had heard. And uh, some suggest that Edwards was feeling a bit um, jealous when he began to preach immediately after Whitfield left, he began to preach a series for eight to nine sermons on the parable of the sower. Now, I don't think that Whitfield, uh, maybe Edwards was struggling a bit with jealousy. We all have flesh, but I don't think that was the intention. What Edwards was trying to say to his, to Northampton, to this city that he had labored for years, prayed for for years, that they would really have a move of the spirit and an awakening in their hearts. What he was trying to say is thousands of you came to hear the word. Thousands of you came to see Whitfield, to experience the drama and the, the excitement, the energy of this man. Thousands of you came. How many of you really heard what he said? And, and that was what Edwards was trying to say. He was trying to say, at one point, he, he says, uh, in his opening sermon, he says, let's not let the word that was now sown be rejected from the hearts of frozen ground. He was trying to say, let's not let your hard, cold hearts reject the message that Whitfield carried. You heard him. You even enjoyed him. But how many of you really listened? Now, it was weeks later that 
Northampton really did have revival as Edwards began to beat this theme home. You saw, you experienced, you loved the excitement of Whitfield. But you'll have to hear the gospel message and allow it to penetrate the depths of who you are. Now, what I want to suggest today, and forgive me if this is a bit harsh. Um, I think there are many of us in the room who you come occasionally, maybe you even come every week. And week after week, I do my best, and I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty close. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm really teasing. Um, but, but I do my best, and whoever's preaching, we do our best to, to show you the most pure and holy and life-changing message from, for all of eternity that anything has ever known. Like, like we are giving you the gospel of Christ, that your life can be transformed by this message. Some of you don't hear it all. To you, I'm the Charlie Brown teacher, you know, with the wah, 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 wah. And what I want to suggest today is that, remember last week, sorry, I'm getting out of the notes, but I'm trying to communicate this well. Remember last week, we saw that Jesus, as he began to teach and preach, there was a delegation of scribes who came from Jerusalem. Right, the religious elite, the smartest men in all of Judaism. And this delegation of scribes, they came down from, from Jerusalem. They came down uh, to Capernaum where Jesus was to rebuke him and to declare that he was filled with demons, that his message wasn't true. Remember we said they couldn't deny that sick people were healed. They couldn't deny uh, that demonic people were now in their right minds. They couldn't deny any of that. So what they did was they said, look, he's doing all this by Satan. What I'm suggesting, and there's speculation, um, a lot of scholars go here, so it's not original, is that as scholars came and they said, this message, this man, he's just some demon-possessed babbler, that people began to ask the question, Jesus, well, why don't the scholars listen to you? Jesus, well, what is it about your message that doesn't gain the approval of the religious elite? And Jesus' response is essentially, there is nothing wrong with my message. There is everything wrong with their hearts. There's nothing lacking in the potency of the gospel. But hearing, they don't hear. Hearing, they don't hear. Now, this is a challenge today as we open up the text. It's a challenge for you to do a little bit of self-examination, which is good, by the way, to do a little self-examination. Hearing, do you really hear? Do you hear? Now, let's read the text, and I'll do my best to bore you. <laughs> again, verse 1, again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him. So they got into a boat, and he sat in it on the sea. It's kind of strange language. It just means he sat down in the boat. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. But other seed fell into good soil, and it produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty, sixty-fold, and a hundredfold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
when he was alone, those around him with the 12, they asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, everything is given in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower, he sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but they endure for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60 fold and a hundred fold. Again, the scholars couldn't renounce his miracles. They couldn't argue with the fact that insane people were now in their perfectly right mind, loving and leading their families well. But the lingering question was, why do some reject you, Jesus? Why is it that there are some whose lives are transformed, who find healing, peace, joy, newness of life, and there are others who turn and renounce you? Is it the seed? And Jesus shows us that the problem is not the potency of the seed. It's the people, the soil of the heart. Jesus responds to the lingering doubt now. Again, remember the elite scholars, the best of the best. They've come to reject Jesus, to renounce him. So these Jews who have been taught to obey the authority are now left with this dangling, lingering question why is it that the best of the best condemn him? And responding to that doubt, Jesus gives parables. Parables. And in reality, this is a bit confusing at first, but in reality, this is a parable about parables. This is a parable about Jesus' own teaching method. This is a parable about Jesus' own um, exhortation and instruction. He's giving us imagery of what's happening as he teaches and as he proclaims the word. He's proclaiming the kingdom. He's proclaiming healing and life, but he's proclaiming it in in parables. Now, parables are this way that you kind of hide a message, cloak a message in mystery. And the question arises, why, Jesus, are you cloaking your message in mystery? And he responds by quoting Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 8 through 10. Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Remember, this is Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts, turn and be healed. In other words, Jesus is cloaking his, his message in mystery. 
so that the accuser, so that the stale, so that those who are really just coming for great joy and thrill of a movement miss it. He gives it so only those who are willing to hear, hear. He's not going to throw his pearls before swine. There's a beauty, a purity, a majesty to the message. He refuses to feed the pigs with it. And this theme unravels the heart of the, the text today. The heart of the text today is hear. Do you hear? When you open your scriptures, if you open them at all, do you hear? And Jesus is showing us that hearing is really about whether or not you want to hear. Now, just watch. Jesus opens the parable by saying this. Listen. Then he says in verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. Verse 12, they will hear but not understand. Those who hear the word yet can't receive it. 420, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones that hear. The emphasis over and over is hearing. And listen to Jeremiah echo this. The prophet Jeremiah in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 21, Jeremiah says, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. There's a spiritual reality being shown throughout the entirety of the scripture, but being highlighted here in Jesus' message. And the reality is this. Your senses, your spiritual senses can be dull. Your heart can be hard. Is there a problem with the word of God? Absolutely not. There's a problem with the soil. Now from there, let's just follow Jesus' own kind of linear sermon here. We'll examine exactly what he says, just like he said it. And what I'm encouraging today, again, is a little self-examination. A little bit of, am I really willing to allow this word to penetrate in the soil of my heart and change me? Or do I have ulterior motives? He starts by saying, there's a sower who sows. The sower in this cultural setting would not be someone who plowed first and neatly um, gave the seed in nice, neat rows. In this cultural, agricultural setting, um, there was kind of just a sling it, sling it and wing it, baby. That's my style. Let it fly. Let's see what happens. Brad's like, I hate that about you. Um, <laughs> and, and sometimes they would sling the seed just kind of wherever they slung it. And some scholars think that they would come later with a plow and begin to plow and allow the seed to, to fall that way. There's some debate about that. But what we do know is that this was not a nice and neat process. This was slinging it and winging it. Jesus says there is a sower. And the idea here is that he is the sower. Jesus here in this message is the sower. And Jesus is saying that I am not, I'm, I, I am not giving necessarily nice and neat seminars that you have to sign up for and we're going to, we're going to close it. He's saying, I'm slinging it. I'm just letting the word fly. And as the word flies, it's landing on different soil. The, he gives us four scenarios, four scenarios and actually six seeds, four scenarios, six seeds. The first scenario is there is some seed that is sown on the path and immediately 
Satan or birds come and snatch it. The path. Some suggest, Edward suggested, this is somewhat the idea. He suggested this about Northampton, where he was, that there can be regions where ministers have preached and preached and preached, and you are so immune. You've, you've heard it over and over and over, but you've had just enough to kind of vaccinate you. And you walk the path, and you walk the path, and you walk the path, and what happens is you become hard and dull. You're so used to it. Now, I want to suggest what Jesus says here is that Satan snatches the word, snatches it. Where does he snatch it? Between your dull ears. Snatches it. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones made this case in a, in a sermon he called um, Philosophy and Vain Deceit. He does a quote from Colossians. He made the case that modern man has given so much of his time and energy to the idea of philosophy, and philosophy can become a great evil. Because in philosophy is this base idea that you can understand the world, and if it doesn't make sense to your mind, then it must not be true. And philosophy starts with human reason. Philosophy starts with our own ability to perceive and to project. And I don't know if you know this, but like every philosopher, they disagree with each other. When every philosopher disagrees with one another, you can assume that nobody's right. It's a stimulation. It's the, the, the desire for, for philosophy and high thinking. Think of Paul preaching in Athens. There's, Paul dealt with philosophers for the entirety of his ministry. We still, you want to talk about great philosophers today? They're still studying Aristotle. Paul dealt with philosophy for the entirety of his ministry. And, and the idea is that we know best, that we know better. But the scripture pins philosophy against revelation. Okay, revelation is from the mouth of God is true. You might not understand it. You might not get it, but revelation is if it's from this voice of the spirit, you can trust it. And if you don't understand it, it's probably because God hasn't given you the ability to understand. It might not be your business, number one. And number two, if you don't understand it, it might be because all you have in your head is a chunk of meat. Like for God's sake, you're not omniscient. And so this is what Jesus is saying, I think. You sit here and you listen to the proclamation of the word, and then many of us sit back and we critique it. Oh, I know better than that. Oh, that's just old-time religion. Lloyd-Jones points this out, and it happens all the time, that some of you hear this gospel. The blood of Jesus ransoms the nations. And you sit back with your mind, and you go, oh, how could the blood of one man possibly pay for the sins of an entire nation? You're sliding into the position of philosopher, and you reject the message on the basis of the question, and the answer to the question is so easy. Paul Washer in a sermon said this, that how can, how can one man pay for the sins of the entire world? Let's start here. The one man is the most worthy man of all of history. And if you put all of us and all of creation on a scale next to Jesus, Jesus goes, wing! Paul calls, Paul calls everything outside of Christ dung. And so all we've got, all we can bring to God, all God sees in the nature of our flesh is dung. And then Jesus Christ is crucified and all of heaven 
gasped because the majesty, the mystery, the beauty, the loveliness of Jesus far outweighs the dung of humanity. So you start to oppose, you start to reason. You've placed yourself as a critical thinker above revelation and, and you've placed yourself in the position of a fool, what the scripture says. But Jesus says you must become like a child. There, there are so many philosophers who are so smart that they're just stupid. Just stupid. Jesus says Satan comes and snatches. You allow culture to, to indoctrinate you you allow a cultural agenda concerning sexuality or culture's agenda concerning atheism or evolutionary theory. You allow that to indoctrinate you. And then when the potency of the word begins to be preached, you just turn it off. And Satan snatched it. And why does Satan have the authority to snatch it? Because you let him. You let him. So Paul tells us that we need to learn to take captive every thought that opposes itself against Jesus Christ. That when my mind begins to question or throw, throw darts at the purity of the gospel, I need to take captive demonic reasoning and replace it with the inerrancy of the scripture, the true word of God. Some of you are you're living in confusion and deception and your whole life feels like a mess and it's because you're living under demonic reasoning demonic thinking and you say Caleb how do you how do you know I hate the question where do, if, if everything is created where does God come from that's such a dumb question he's uncreated man and and you, you start to throw all these big philosophical ideas and reasoning and you try to reason your way out and I'm, I'm saying to you with the blind man I was depressed at a single gauge single shot 20 gauge in my mouth and saying, God, please change me. And by God, I have peace and joy and life. And I could try to build you a chart, like some kind of graph as to how all of creation came into existence. Or I can acknowledge that this little piece of meat in my brain is not omniscient. And I'm just telling you that there's redemptive power in this gospel. Yeah. Satan snatches it from those who live under demonic reasoning, empty deceit. Next, there is some seed that is sown on rocky soil. These hearers, they hear, and they're quickly excited. They respond with great joy, ready to be all in, but they're too quick to jump on the next trend. Come on, there are seasons in history where Christianity becomes popular. And sometimes we call those seasons revival. There's usually a measure of revival in it. But oftentimes... There's, there's a measure of, of rocky undergirding. Like Whitfield, Jesus has thousands and thousands and thousands of people flocking to him. And he's standing there acknowledging, there is excitement around my ministry. There's a fervency. Some are just so thrilled to be a part of the next move because their lives are so mundane that they're desperate for some kind of excitement. Jesus says that they're in it for all the wrong reasons. Because there's a day coming when the movement will lose its excitement because the master, the shepherd, will be pinned to a tree. 
There's a day coming when culture will no longer celebrate. It's not going to be like, like kind of cool, forgive me for saying this, but kind of sexy to be a Christian anymore. But now you're an outcast and now you're, you, you send your kids to school and they're taught that their parents are ignorant. There's a persecution that comes on behalf of the seed. And those who are in it just for the good times, they jump ship. Listen to me today. Are you here for the music? Are you here because the church is kind of growing and there's a little bit of excitement around what we're doing? Are you excited about the friendship and the community? Or are you here because the word of God has cut you? Let me say this. I'm, I'm going to get on a pedestal here. When we stepped into the last couple election cycles and the liberal agenda swung so far left that it was just radically dumb, there were many who sought shelter in the Christian community. And now they've, the Christianity, to an extent, has gained some people who think that Christianity is about arguing down liberals. Um, I am going to agree with you. The radical left is dumb. I ain't got no problem saying that, okay? Dumb. But, but let me say this to you. We are not, I am not conservative because it's politically and culturally a bit sexy right now to be conservative. It's rebellious to be conservative. Come on, with some of you in the room, I've been conservative for years because my values don't come from what's politically rebellious. My values come from this word. And, and some are jumping on the ship of Christianity going, look, this is rebellious. This is a solution to political problems. And I'm saying Christianity is thousands of years old. This kind of wave and turmoil, this is nothing new. We are steadfastly going to keep preaching the gospel, steadfastly making disciples. We're praying for spiritual awakening when everything we're doing is not about politics. You know what will change a politician's heart overnight? The power of the Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing the thing where we all pretend like now all of a sudden we're a political move. Oh, forget it. And, it, and if it's those who have jumped on ship because they hated the left's movement in the last two political cycles, election cycles. They hated the left, and they jumped onto the church because they saw the church as a, a refuge. Many of them are jumping off quickly because we're not political enough. I am very political. In the spiritual realm, baby. I, we're dealing with powers and principalities. Next, the seed is preached to some who receive it, but eventually it's choked out by thorns. Listen to Jeremiah again in chapter 4, verse 3 through 4. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Jesus echoes the imagery of Jeremiah here. Till up the soil of your heart. And, and don't allow the word to land among thorns. Jesus says, some hear the word and they receive it, but it's choked out by worldly desires, by other pursuits, by worldly dreams, by the pursuit of wealth, by the pursuit of pleasure. Some hear and they acknowledge for a while what God is doing, but eventually the, the, the fruit is choked out and not allowed to produce because what's really going on in their heart is they came because they thought that Christianity was going to make things easier for them. They thought that the gospel and being a Christian demanded financial prosperity. You want to talk about modern Christian culture? 
come to Jesus and all of your business dealings will be blessed. And we obviously believe that there's a blessing on the saint. But there are times where God allows his saints to walk through thick fire to purge in us the desire for anything else. Some come to Christianity because they see it as the next self-help book. Right? Personal development. Teach me to live healthier and happier. This year, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to go to church. Jesus says, if all you're here is is for pleasure and because you think life's going to be better, you don't get it. I'm calling you to death. Pure death. To crucify every selfish desire. I'm calling you to abandon your business dealings on 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 the blink of an eye if I ask you to. Work hard so diligently, but if I call you tomorrow to get your butt up and move overseas to preach the gospel, you walk away. It is not about you building comfort. And pleasure. This is about dying. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ Jesus who lives through me. Some come to Christianity because they think it's going to make them a better person. They forgot it's going to make them a dead person. A dead person. Finally. There are actually three more seeds that Jesus speaks of. There are three that fail. And there are three that produce. What do they produce? 30, 60, and 100 fold. So there's a bit of debate about this. Um, Commentators struggle to get on the same page. But essentially, what most agree is that a tenfold crop would have been considered a bumper crop. If you sowed a seed and you got tenfold your fruit for your efforts, that's a bumper crop. Everybody's really happy with that. The idea of a hundredfold crop is, is not casual or normal. That's like you just hit the lottery, baby. So, so, in other words, the seed is not only not defect, but the seed is supernaturally potent. You hear what I'm saying? The seed is supernaturally effective. Most celebrate 10. Jesus says some are going to have a hundredfold. Think of Genesis chapter 26, verse 12 through 13. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold because the Lord had blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. When Isaac sowed and reaped a hundredfold, everybody knew God's doing something for that man. And he was rich. So let let Jesus' words crack your skull here for a second. The message, again, is not in any way defective. It's actually crazy potent. It actually is so fruitful, it would blow your mind. And those who receive it with pure hearts, good soil in their chest, those are going to see the kingdom come like they can't even imagine. Those are going to see crazy spiritual fruitfulness. Now, what he just showed us in the parable, it's not always easy. It's not always like a lack of struggle or suffering or trial, but it is fruitful. Your life may be difficult. God may ask you to sweat on a mission field, and nobody likes to sweat. <laughs> but what God says is that there will be incredible life, supernatural peace and healing and life change and redemption and restoration. What he's also saying is this. If you kind of lean back and think about it, think of Jesus saying, I've sowed six seeds. 
And you guys are all standing around talking about the three that didn't do anything. But you give this a little time and watch what happens with the three that took root. You hear what he's saying? Three, yes. Nothing really happening. But these other three are going to so surpass anything you've ever imagined. When, when the people of God will begin to listen and allow the word of God to transform their inner man. Is the seed not potent? Absolutely not. The hearts of people are hard, selfish. But Jesus says, if you'd receive it, if you'd learn to listen, if you learn to bow your knee to it, if you stop arguing with it as if you're smarter than the word of God, if you'd allow it to penetrate and drive roots into your soul, you'd see the faithfulness of God to transform regions, your families, your workplaces. Do you listen? Do you listen? I know you hear. Some of you hear, wah, 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 wah. But do you listen? When you read the scripture, do you listen? Do you bow your heart to it? You want to have a 2023 new year, new me? I start listening. Start allowing that word to cut. Cut deep. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet and worship team if you get in place.